Can you work with an out-of-network practitioner and not pay those ridiculous out-of-network fees? How do you get out of a ghastly and outrageous surprise medical bill? And can you get the price of what the doctor will charge you for a necessary procedure so you can shop it around, like looking for one of those best BOGO deals at Winn-Dixie? You might be surprised. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional, and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight. There is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. This is Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. This is going to be one of those really interesting behind-the-curtain kind of shows The type of things, quite frankly, that I just love, it's the sneak peek that we never really get as family caregivers or patients or really anybody on on the outside of the medical industry. And I'm not even sure that doctors really know all the details of what goes on. But this show is all about medical coding. If that doesn't sound sexy enough to you, (laughs) then we'll certainly make it interesting. My guest here today is Jennifer McNamara with the Ozark Institute. She is a trainer of coders and an expert coder herself. So she knows all the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs. I'm trying to think of like coding. Is it going to put me to sleep or? (laughs) I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's not, it's not my personal aspiration yet. It seems like it would be a really fascinating puzzle at the same time, right? Exactly. Well, Nancy, I mean, thank you for having me today. I just, you know, I'm passionate about coding and it's one of those things. Yeah. I mean, like some people don't think about it as a glamorous job, but those that do it and have passion for it, like with anything you're passionate about, you love to talk about it. And I may not, of course, reach all your listeners, but maybe we can uh, intrigue a few. (laughs) Now, just so that you know, Jennifer is not a total geek. She's not sitting here with glasses and tape between the eyeballs there. <laughs> but you think of coders, I just think of like Third Rock from the Sun and yeah, things right. like that, all the, the, the total geeks out there. But I'm dating myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm interested in hearing a little bit about the whole coding industry of, of really, first of all, just quickly, can you give us like a 30 second synopsis of what it is mm-hmm. and how it works for the industry now? Okay, sure. Um, I'm glad you said now because it's changed a lot since the 80s and 90s. But Uh, But yeah, so when you walk into the medical office, let's say I'm just going to go with the office because that's where I focus my time on. I don't do a lot of of education in the hospital setting, which is a different animal on its own. But just let's say you walk in your doctor's office, you see the doctor, right, face to face. Maybe they're ordering a test while you're in there and they, or maybe they're going to order a surgery and you're going to have to wait for that scheduling. But they hand you that paper or it used to be a paper, right? Sometimes it still is in some offices, they hand you a piece of paper. You walk out the door, but you hand it to the receptionist or the checkout person, and there's a bunch of codes on it, right? Maybe you never looked at it, never noticed there were codes on it. They circle a couple things. So what they're circling is what they saw you for, right? The time they spent with you or what they discussed is given a code. And then with the reason, right? The diagnosis. So in order to get paid by the insurance, they have to tell them what they did and why they did it. Pretty straightforward. There's a lot of in-betweens and chaos that happens from the time it 
it leaves the office the time the payment comes, but, but that's it in a nutshell. The last time I visited a doctor wasn't too long ago, but I didn't get one of those papers. Mm -hmm. And now doctors are putting it all in, in a laptop. Mm -hmm. So it's automatically going in right. and you don't even see what those codes are to begin with. Not hardly anymore. And so that's why I wanted to say, I know some offices still hand papers out. They still have a traditional, what we call a super bill. And they still have those. And the doc some doctors are old school. They still want to use that, even though the charges are going to get entered into a system. Maybe they're already going through the system, but they still they want to circle it. They want to give it to the patient. But then other times, no, you walk out, you check out, you're good. You don't even see that until you get a bill. Do you know if we have the right to even ask for a printout of that before we leave? Absolutely. Now, it will depend, of course, on if it's ready, because there are guidelines that they have to follow. And sometimes they're between seen patients. And so they may not have the time at that moment when you check out to get you a copy of that because it's not ready yet. And they can't really send anything to the insurance unless he's signed off on the note. Maybe he has to look at other things. He or she has to call another doctor to confer with them before they finalize a note. There's different things that they do before and after they leave the room that go into that final code. And so there are times where, yeah, you can't have it right then. Other doctors are quick. They're like, I'm done. Yeah, we're ready to go. They sign off it right there. But it just depends on the visit, the doctor, all kinds of variables. And I would imagine that you could even, even if they don't have it, you can still ask for it or come back for it. At or some point, yes. Email it, right? My doctor, who's still up north, because I'm looking for primary care where we mm -hmm. are right now, could not send my medical records in an email. That's true for, for medical records. So if I needed something or if I was going to send something to her... I had to put it in the old snail mail folder and hope that it got there within a reasonable amount of time, which is, you know, a little disconcerting. Thankfully, there's nothing life-threatening. But <laughs> Yeah, I will say it really depends on what it is. So if it's an actual record, like documentation from your chart, there's guidelines we have to live by as far as we have to have like a release of records. The HIPAA stuff, right. Form signed. It, it's all legal and we have to follow that. That's our requirement in, in the office and physicians know all about that compliance officers that are in the office. That's their job to make sure we're compliant. But then there's, you know, if it's you sign a form whenever you come in the office that says you agree to the to give them the ability to file the claim on your behalf, you assign the benefits to them. But you can still get a printout of your statement. They may have you sign a form, but usually it's pretty straightforward. And a lot of these electronic health records have portals. Most clinics use these unless they're old school and they don't do it that way. They're all mail. But most portals that exist in offices are really nice and easy. You can access your statements, all of that right in the portal. So that includes all the coding and the statements typically as well. It should. Yeah, yeah, it should. But if you need a more detailed one, then yeah, you can call the office and they can get that over to you. So from what I understand in doing some initial research, there's actually a significant amount of error that takes place in the coding which I find rather fascinating. And the numbers are all over the place from 50-50 that you're going to get there. Somebody's going to get it right. There's going to be at least one error to as much as 90%, especially in the case of hospitals, because there's more than one medical provider typically per patient. So that becomes a lot more complex in how things fall into place. But there's actually a place online where we can find all this information if we want to know what the codes are and what they mean. Right. So, and I'll put that information in the show notes. I don't have it memorized by heart. I am sorry about that, but you know, <laughs> it's not my dream to memorize every URL, but we'll get it to you in, in, in the show notes as well so that you've got it. But that I find helpful as well. If you want to just double check, just because you're covered by insurance doesn't necessarily mean that 
you shouldn't care about your billing if you've got not. a certain amount for two reasons. You know, one is sometimes depending upon your deductible, it may actually, from what I'm seeing and researching now, it may be actually less to pay cash upfront. Mm-hmm. So being able to negotiate your bill is helpful, but you can't know what, you don't know what to negotiate unless you know what the codes are and what you're paying for. Exactly. And it becomes, you know, a little bit tricky because the organizations that maybe own the codes make it difficult sometimes to access them. But you can pretty much Google anything these days and you can get an, a rough idea of what that code on your bill is. And if it doesn't look familiar to you, it looks like something that, you know, I know I didn't have that done. You can call and, and inquire about it. I mean, I would. I mean, for same thing for me, you know, I'm a coder, but I'm still a patient. <laughs> so I, I take that upon myself to look at my bill. Did this actually happen? What are some of the things that you do or that you would recommend a non-coder patient mm-hmm. or caregiver for a, a parent or a, even a spouse or partner look for in some of these bills when they do get them if they don't have the exact codes? The bills themselves don't necessarily show all the codes. Right. They say you owe this amount and and looking at my last bill for my husband actually it was like just a short line. I, th- I think they did more than that. Yeah. And you can request that. I mean, we've had patients call our offices when I worked in the office directly asking for a specific statement that showed the code and description because maybe they get reimbursed by a secondary party and they need to see those. And so those are things we can filter in our systems and we can add these filters and we can actually get that information for them. And then there's other things to look at too with the codes on the actual EOB, which is your explanation of benefits, which comes from your insurance company. Now, the, the doctor's office gets the same thing, but it may have different information that they need. Like they need to know if there was a denial, for instance, if the insurance denied a certain line on that claim. Our side needs to know why. And do they have these reason codes at the bottom? But a lot of times your version of it will also have a similar wording. So you can know in your column where it says patient responsibility, it says zero, right? Which means you don't owe anything. Right. And there's a column that says payment. So it's going to tell you how much they paid to the provider for that line. It's really hard to explain because there are so many variables when you understand, okay, why are so many codes on my claim, you might ask? Why are all these codes on here? I know I'll have one service done. And that can be confusing to patients. So, And you were there for less than five minutes. <laughs> right. So they don't understand sometimes, and I'm talking strictly from a procedure aspect, you know, right. just the visits themselves, you, you should only have one typically. But for your procedures in the hospital, like a surgery, for instance, you could have three, four codes for one procedure uh, because the way that we bill, sometimes we have to do multiple codes to describe one procedure. And sometimes patients don't know that, you know, they're not coders, right? They don't read the guidelines. They don't know what we deal with every day. So a heart surgery, for instance, can be complex. I'm going to just kind of use an example of pacemakers, for instance. You get a pacemaker done. There's variables for us, like are they removing one part of it and inserting another? And we have to separate those codes out in order to bill it appropriately to get paid. What or even if you got anesthesia, if something happened with anesthesia, the amount of mm-hmm. medication that was used, I would imagine. And that's on the hospital side for sure. Like they can bill for things that we can't on the physician side. So I'm going to make hopefully make this as simple as possible for the average person. Even people that come to me wanting to know when you come coders. They have all these questions like, what is the hospital side versus the physician side? And they don't understand that. Maybe you have a surgery, right? You go and they potentially will tell you, okay, you're going to get a bill from the hospital and you're going to get a bill from the office and your anesthesiologist. Some offices do this. I don't recommend them telling you anything because they shouldn't tell you anything 
that they can't tell you. Like they can't tell you how much the, the hospital is going to charge you right. or upfront. They can't tell you how much the anesthesia is going to charge. Really, they can estimate, but it's about time, right? Like the anesthesia gets paid by how much time from the start of the anesthesia to the stop time. Hmm. Maybe that can be averaged for a certain type of procedure. But if there's a complication, something happens during that and they have to take longer, that could change. So we, we can't really quote that anyway. Your anesthesiologist will quote that for you. Your hospital will quote their fee and your physician quotes their fee. So you're going to have three different fees if you have a procedure in the hospital. This gets really complicated. Yeah, it does. Now, barring an emergency, which is a whole nother story, you go in, let's say you're going to have a, um, I think of my dad, he had a stent, a heart stent put in. Right. So we're dealing with the cardiologist, the general physician, the GP, then there was a cardiologist, then there was the surgeon, then there was everything else, you know, the anesthesia and recovery and everything else that had to come into play. I looked at the bill when it came in and it was, everything was covered a hundred percent, thankfully, because of the, not just the Medicare, but also his supplemental plan, which covered everything. However, for me to even know how many different individuals were going to be involved was in itself a bit of a Rubik's cube to begin with. Now the doctor, the cardiologist should know, because he actually told me that, you know, who was going to be involved. So at that, at that point in time, because it was a, a short period to make the decision to do so. He was very upfront about it. So that was helpful. But I fought because in this particular case, people know some of the stories that they didn't want the hospital didn't want to do the procedure because of his age and they were concerned about the risk. Well, if we didn't do it, he was going to die within probably a couple of days. Yeah. If he was lucky to make it to a couple of days, so we did it and then he was fine. But even still, I did the research on what the cost of the procedure was through Medicare and through the insurance company. So I knew from the insurance side what they would charge, but I didn't know from the hospital side, which was a whole nother story to even consider in general. So they were saying $30,000. So the hospital could mark it up to 90 or 150,000 for no particular reason other than that's what they think they could get from me. Right. And I will kind of shed some light on that for a little bit too, because that happens a lot to patients and they call our office and they want to know why we are doing things differently than the hospital because they got a bill for all these things, but our side is different. So the average patient doesn't understand that. So I like to tell them too, the hospital bills the whole stay. We're only billing the time the doctor was in there doing the procedure. That's all we get. We own, Our side only gets that. So the hospital gets to bill from the time you enter that building all the things that happen to you and people that touch you and the bed, the nurses, the, yeah, you know, the wake the up at 2 a.m. in the morning and then 3 a.m. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gets pricey. Yeah. But for the most part, if you have coverage for those things, they've gotten approved ahead of time. Your insurance covers the majority of that and you have a cost share, right? So you know right. that when you get a policy, I know like maybe it's Medicare, right? If I'm going to be an inpatient in the hospital, my part A coverage kicks in if I have part A and part B. And then if the physician comes in and sees me, that's going to be billed by their by him. And that's that Part B coverage that I purchased. Right. But maybe I'd only have Part A coverage I purchased. I didn't, I didn't purchase Part B. So if I go to the office, I don't have coverage for Medicare. I have to pay. Or maybe I have a different policy besides Medicare that covers me for going to office visits and things like that. So we have to look at those things. You know, what is your coverage? And hopefully... 
when they get that process started before the patient comes in, that happens. So how frequently do people come into the office? Because this I'm, I'm kind of curious about when there is a major procedure to ask you, the billing or the coding department, not necessarily the doctor, because the doctor's not necessarily going to mm-hmm. know what the costs right. are. The doctor's job, I hate to say it, is to heal the patient, do no yeah. harm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but do no harm does not mean include bankruptcy. So that can sometimes, I don't say cause more harm than death, but sometimes sometimes it feels Um, like it could be a way of a fate worse or close to. Some people it feels that way, right? Right. I know that there's something called the, um, I can think it's the full disclosure act that's happening with hospitals. The price transparency. Yes. Exactly. Which not all hospitals are complying with. Mm -hmm. Like less than 10%. Right. Because the fines are, I think, are like something like $300 a day Mm -hmm. or somewhere. It's fairly low depending upon the size of the hospital. But the cost of paying the fine can be a lot less than revealing the numbers. Do you see, I'm not even sure if this is true, but are doctors having to do the same kind of disclosure? Yeah, I mean, they they have to disclose part of the price transparency. They do have to disclose things. If asked, not necessarily up front, because I've never had a doctor come. Yeah, and that's part, well, this is part of the, this is part of the No Surprise Billing Act that right. was enacted. And, you know, it, a lot of patients don't know about it because if, unless you work in healthcare, you may not understand that. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, the No Surprise Billing Act. Why don't you explain? Because that went into effect just recently. Let's do it. Yeah. January 1st of this year. Now, um, this last year, the previous, you know, the price transparency was a thing. And you'll see some clinics, some um, doctor's office websites that will have their price list on their website. They've done that, right? Um, others I haven't have seen one yet. So <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually doing research and I remember which one I was looking at, but I was researching a couple of clinics that we were going to do auditing for. And I was just looking at their website. And I noticed that they had done that, huh, which that is, is good. good. You know, it's nice to know they have their fees um, on there and they're transparent about that, which is good. But in the, they may not be required necessarily by law to do it, but they are doing it. The hospitals that are required, of course, by law to do it, you know, not all of them are. But there's other things to think about, too, with that is that they do have the, all of the requirements technologically that they have to meet. Sometimes it's just very time consuming for them and they just it takes a mm-hmm. while. Right. So anything new that comes about in healthcare, any new initiatives, it does take time for a bigger facility to enact those or to make and them. the smaller ones probably follow the bigger ones on average because of time and effort, it's, right? Yeah. So I try to think. I'm I'm always that person, like the devil's advocate. Okay, I'm like, okay, well, why is it this way? Let me kind of think of from from their aspect. You know, I I know it's this for you, but maybe I'm not thinking from your mm-hmm. perspective. But anyway, no surprise billing act that was enacted. It was really to help patients not get those surprise bills and be kind of in more control. But also to make sure that facilities and offices were also um, having the patient's best interest. Because what happens a lot of times in the, this can happen, how did my grandfather, when he had to have surgery, he had to go out of his network, out of state to get a certain procedure he needed. And so he had to go to a hospital that was out of his network. But we were able to maneuver through that and, and make calls and we got him approved. But in a lot of cases, there are, there are, it's not, it didn't happen for patients. They don't know this is happening and they aren't aware that the facility they're having surgery in is in network with their plan, but the physician doing it is not, or maybe some provider involved in their care is not in network. That happened with my husband a number of years ago. Yep. Yeah. So you may get a higher bill for that provider because you're paying out of network fees. Whether maybe you would normally pay 20% 
because that's your cost share with mm-hmm. your with your in-network uh, contract. Or the, the anesthesiologist is not, and all of a sudden you get, you whammo. You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you may have different fees, and you don't know why, and that could be why. So they created this law. So you're supposed to, of course, if you're in the hospital, hospitals are supposed to- The optimal to word, supposed to. Or not <laughs> charge the patients the out-of-network rate for, for an, that situation. Now- there are some situations you have to look at the law very carefully when it comes to these private practices and what they have to do. But for instance, let's say, for instance, you do are quoted a fee out of pocket that you have to pay from this provider. There's a stipulation in that law that it can't be over $400 over what you were quoted. And so there are things built in there that you should be aware of. And so Medicare's website, they are very clear and transparent. Medicare is very transparent about things. They're excellent. And so I feel like even my recent podcast I did on my podcast, I talked about these two websites, cms.gov and medicare.gov. Do you know the difference? You know, medicare.gov has some great information for patients. It's where mm-hmm. you go to buy your policy, right? And to research what's covered. But there are things on their patients can do if they don't agree with a policy, for instance, they can dispute something, all kinds of stuff they can do on that website, right? For us as coders, billers, administrative right. staff, we usually use cms.gov for regulatory things that we have to follow. We have to look at policies too. And CMS is the Center for Medicare. Medicaid services, yeah. Yes. All these acronyms, right? <laughs> right. Get used to them, but I, I want to make sure that the the audience also, also knows. Right. If you call a phone number for especially your local Medicare or some cases, there's it's like calling the IRS, right? So, the regional contract. Right, the, yes. the regional office. And they are extremely helpful. I'm not talking about somebody who's selling supplemental insurance or Medicare insurance or anything else. What I'm talking about is the government arm that manages and oversees these services. And they are typically lovely people to deal with and just are kind and thoughtful in taking their time to explain these issues. I agree. And which is something that I don't think we reach out enough to. Oh, yes. And, you know, know the dispute process, know what your rights are. And of course, I know you're going to put in your show notes, some of the information that patients can have access to. We want to make sure patients know where to go and your office should have the forms. They should be always, always handing those to you. We work in a practice that is majority, we work, we do auditing and consulting for a practice that majority is cosmetic. And so there's very few insurance. So they ha- they actually have to have a list. They have to show them the prices and they have to give them a quote. And so they're, they're, they're one of those practices that's always, they know this because they it's have the to It's the cash-based business for the cosmetic yeah, industry. Yeah, for a lot right? of them, right? Yeah. So that's a different story. They, they kind of know this, but other practices that aren't really familiar with this act or it's new to them, there's sort of a learning curve. So- I also say to be patient with your practice, be educated as a patient so you can have your rights protected, but also in some ways, be a little patient with your practices. Some of these receptionists up there, they're new to this and maybe they're new in the field and they're stressed out. (laughs) You know, I've been there. So I like, like I said, from both aspects as a patient and then as a healthcare worker, be patient with both sides. If you were a patient walking in that and you were, you were stressed out because you know, you have to have this procedure or you're worried about a health condition. Be patient in an understanding of that aspect as well. Everyone should do their part to make sure everyone's everyone's happy and comfortable and understands what is at stake here. Now, if you walk into a doctor's office, since that's where you primarily work in doctor's practices, and they won't give you a quote up front or a price, <laughs> should you just turn around and walk out? 
Not necessarily. I would say that at the end of the day, if you have Medicare or a coverage, no matter what they charge, no matter what fee they upcharge, they can yeah. charge whatever they want, right? So a doctor can charge $500 for a high level visit in the office. Or they cannot take Medicare or Medicaid. Exactly. Yeah, so a lot of them are stopping to do that in certain major metropolitan areas. And if they don't, then that's their yep. right. And unfortunately, you just have to go somewhere else, go to someone who will take it. And there are providers who are taking them. So you just have to know. Obviously, sometimes you know, if you have a provider you really love and you only need to get them get them maybe once a year to, to check your medications or whatever, and you want to see them and pay cash, it may be worth it to you. But for others that need a specific specialist and they know they need this surgery, it's life-threatening, they, they have to use their coverage. They can't afford to pay you know, out-of-pocket. And sometimes the out-of-pocket price, the cash price, is less than what you're going to pay with a copay in some cases. Sometimes, yeah. So if you have the ability to do that and maybe you have a high deductible plan, maybe I'm, I'm talking about patients who aren't Medicare, right. who have a high deductible plan and that's to them it's worth it to save. Because they know they have to pay out of pocket anyway with their deductible, and they may as well just do it this way. So it depends on on the person and their plan, but so that's doable, yes. But at the end of the day, you know they have to follow the contract they're in. So they accept Medicare, they accept Blue Cross, they accept United Healthcare. They are in a contract with them, just like you are. So they have to accept those rates. So what happens is they submit the claim, whatever charges they bill, everything hopefully has been authorized. Mm-hmm. They know the codes they're submitting are accurate, the diagnosis are accurate. They've checked the policy. They know the patient has coverage, that it is approved. All these things have been check, 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 right? Right. You're good to go. You expect payment now. So you get the payment in and they tell you on that form, this is what you charged, but you know that you have a contract with Medicare. This is the amount you're allowed to charge. And the difference between that, you have to adjust off. You cannot charge the patient that amount. You have to adjust that off. Not whatsoever, because I get those bills all the yeah. time and I look at them and yeah. I think, that's a lot in some cases that they absorb. It's a lot of write-offs. If you notice and you can see those, those amounts, it is large sometimes. You could charge $1,500 for a colonoscopy, but I will tell you in the state of Arkansas, um, most, like I'll say a commercial payer, for instance, pays like $800. Medicare pays a little less. So that's just a good example because I, I had to read those reports daily. So some of those numbers are still in my head <laughs> for when I had to read those reports. You've got to do a lot of drilling, I'll call it. <laughs> you do. And so you right? have to know in... Some facilities, it's their job. You have one person, it's their job to run reports all day. And their job is to look to see if, if any of these paid zero and why. And that's their job. Um, would I consult? And I, that's one of the first reports I asked for. Is for the colonoscopy report? Well, no, where's your zero pay report? I want to oh, know okay. I want to know how many claims are, are zero paid and are you catching them? Are you just letting your system automatically post them? into the system and you don't even look at them, then you're like, okay, I didn't get paid much money, but well, you could have if you look at your your reports, right? So those are things from an accounting aspect that most practices have somebody in their office that that's their job or someone on a higher level. And maybe they're one office part of a conglomerate of offices and there's one person or maybe two or three that that's their job. And that's what they do all day. Because billing errors can happen, but they can happen not in the favor of the doctor right? and in the favor of the patient as well. So honestly, we want to be fair on both sides because I want to, I do want a medical provider who's able to afford to put food on his table too. That's, that's important. We want them to stay in business because we need their services. um, Absolutely. Obviously, they're hopefully they're taking care of their business from a back office perspective and making sure they're getting paid. Mm-hmm. And if there's an error and denial that happens for us, the patient, 
how easy or how difficult is it for us to go back to the doctor and say, did you check your codes? Are they, are they <laughs> correct or not? And just, cause that's another challenge because we don't necessarily, we're not the experts in the coding space, but you know, I don't want to be denied for anything, you know, paid into this. Exactly. Yeah. If you see on your explanation of benefits, something was denied, you can contact them and you can say, you noticed that this happened. Um, or you noticed that this line wasn't paid. Was it coded correctly? Can you find some other code? Right. Now, we've had patients call and we've investigated that. And I'm going to use colonoscopy again as an example because I did that for so many years and it was one of our top denials. And we coded it according to documentation. So, but we understand, for instance, that patients expect that they have certain benefits or they know they have a preventative service benefit. And so they expect that, th that this routine colonoscopy is going to be paid 100%. Right. Because that's their coverage, right? They're of age, according to their policy, or they're at the right age to have a screening colonoscopy, right? So on my world, in the coding world, we have to look at the report and we say, okay, yes, they, if they, they're covered. And there's a screening. It's documented as a screening. They didn't do anything surgical. They just looked around and that's it. And that's clean, right? But other times they do look around. And they may have to remove a polyp right. or may have to do something else while they're in there. But we also know the patients do have coverage to treat it as a screening, even if it becomes surgical. So we know that is a benefit in their policy. But then there's times where the doctor isn't super clear mm. in his documentation, or maybe the coder didn't understand what the doctor was saying and they interpreted it wrong. So errors can happen on the doctor's side. Maybe he missed a word. <laughs> and so if we notice that, it's very easy. When, when you when you hear the numbers, you know, 90% of all bills have an error in it, not necessarily going to be um, a, right. not in your favor. It could be not in the favor of the doctor or the hospital, everything else. So that's, that's important to know. And just being able to go to a place to say, are my error, are my codes correct? If in fact, you all of a sudden get a surprise bill that you didn't expect. Absolutely. And I'm a huge advocate for patients, for physicians themselves, and for the office staff. I mean, I, I feel like every role is important and in society, we all have to work together. But when I teach practice managers and I, I go into an office and my job is to help you improve your practice workflow and help you figure out where your holes are in your process. That's one of the, when I, what I do sometimes for people that bring me in. But that's one of the things I look for is I look for, okay, how many people are doing a task and how many of those people understand the patient's benefits? We understand, yes. At the end of the day, the patient should know their benefits, but it doesn't always happen. So your job really should be to know that. If you are a GI provider, we're going to pick on colonoscopies again. You know that's a bit one of the main parts of your practice that you do so many of those every week, right? That's one of the biggest money makers for you is, is that. Sure. So why wouldn't you want your staff to be proactive? Make sure the patient knows ahead of time before they sign that paper that they consent to that procedure they understand their obligations financially if this were to happen. Yeah, I've actually gone in with my insurance card and the doctor's office will say, yes, you are covered or not, you're, you're, no, you're not covered up front. So that's helpful for them to quickly be able to put my card, my information through their system and at least give me a top line yeah. perspective on what's going on. Now, before we leave, I'm very curious because we've been through two years of sort of chaos in the healthcare mm -hmm. business. And I was just reading today that there's a, a well, it's not actually a hospital, it's a care facility that's going into bankruptcy, mm -hmm. which is sad. It's very sad. I'm not personally a big fan of care facilities, but I also know that they are necessary for, for some families because it's difficult to take care of, 
a parents or a spouse or a partner, whoever, who, when you've got another life to live and take care of things, it's, it's hard to do. Yeah. And getting the help is sometimes necessary. But we think of doctors and nurses and other hospital professionals or healthcare professionals. We don't think of the coders mm -hmm. that may have been impacted in this mm -hmm. challenge, this pandemic that we've been in. Is there an issue that's going on in the coding world that is impacting the industry that could ultimately have a ramification on us, the families and the patients? Yes and no. I mean, there are lots of technologies out there that are able to stand up to some of those things, but there are some types of procedures that need a human brain behind them that technology can't always fix, but there are staffing shortages. So I'm going to be doing a webinar actually tomorrow on from my orthopedic clients. And that's one of the things I'm going to talk about is I know you're short staffed and you can't, it seems like you can't find, they're saying they can't find qualified coders to do the job. But at the end of the day, a lot of them are leaving because of pay. Sure. They're leaving because of dissatisfaction with maybe that environment they're in, uh, the culture in that practice. Maybe they're dissatisfied with the fact that they can't work remotely when so many have been able to. And I will tell you, I've been working remotely since 2015 before the pandemic mm -hmm. very successfully. It is a job that can be done remotely and it can save costs in many ways for facilities. So it's one of those things where do they want to let go of that in-person contact with their coders? Do they have the desire to save money and also let them go work at home? But at the same time, the overhead, you really need five coders for two physicians. Like, right. do you really need that many? And so those are things that we always look at too, is how many people are on staff? Do you really need that many coders? Could they be best used other places where you're, they're not going to make your burden, right? But they could be helping another practice who needs them and who can afford And if them. you have five coders for two physicians, maybe there's something else going the, on. Exactly. Yeah. So like for me, I will tell you early on in my career, before we had EMRs, we had paper charts back in the day. It was me as the coder. I did all the prior authorization. I did all the coding for three, four physicians, surgeons, and I did all the office visits, all the surgeries. And then we had a receptionist who took all the insurance cards. She did all benefit verification. We had to even have time at the end of the day to file paper charts. We had to pull all- Oh, that sounds like paper hell. Yes, we had to pull like 50 <laughs> right. charts every day and then refile them back into the file cabinet. I think of all the charts that you'd see when you walk into a doctor's office and they're all lined up. You know, <laughs> exactly, it, it, right? It, it, looks, it looks worse than an attorney's office where you see the books and the files and this one was like, exactly. oh my God, you know, I, I feel probably better walking into an accountant's office than a doctor's office with yeah. files. I remember those days and there was a time where my job before I was a coder, I, I was like a, what they call a float in the hospital uh -huh. and they would have me go around to different offices that I did all day long as I filed charts all day. Uh. Long. So you imagine going to a primary care physician's office and they see so many patients a day and there's papers everywhere and you have to find out where the papers go. Like if it's a lab result or an x-ray or EKG. We had to know where in the chart to put it so the physician could find it easy. Talk about chance for error, now it's, right? I mean, yeah, huge chance exactly. for error. How many people are touching it and, yeah. and what papers are getting accidentally filed in the round receptacle instead? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that kind of dates me a little bit. But yeah, I definitely remember those days, but I'm old enough to remember those. And also when we transitioned and where all those paper charts went away and we now transition to electronic medical record. And there was even chance for error there, you know. Oh, big chance. Yeah, my brother-in-law was a coder during that time. And to hear the stories of going from, he worked in the hospital system. <laughs> so going from hospital to hospital and the amount of time and the intensity of the work was yeah. huge. 
to get things done. So Jennifer, before we leave, I want to ask, is, is there anything that you would recommend family members who are taking care of a parent or even for ourselves do that, that we haven't covered that should be something that's like a must do when you're getting a bill in a hospital or even with a physician? Definitely be proactive and understand your policy, first of all. I mean, I know it takes a lot sometimes. You may not understand every single word in there. But get on your insurance payer website and try to find their coverage policies and call your provider, call your provider, tell them you don't understand your bill. And I mean, that's their job. Now, you can also dispute with your insurance. If you decide you don't agree, you can call your insurance company and tell them you don't agree. And they can hopefully explain to you as well what your statement shows why this is the case. But then at the end of the day, call your provider and ask them. Because we had patients call us, for instance, on, again, on colonoscopies, because they um, they didn't understand why there were three three codes on their claim. So they didn't know the In, the out, and the route, the rotor rooter, and the back out. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't understand that, okay, yeah, we there was three different types of procedures done during that visit. He inserted that scope in there, but he removed a polyp here, a polyp here. And he removed, he did a different technique of removing. And you've got the the stuff to sort of knock you out. So you don't remember that experience. Yeah, I mean, hospital bills for that stuff. So it's just not one one code for just that procedure. Sometimes we have to describe it in three different codes. And that should be, for the most part, when we do a procedure, we try to account for that in the order. So if the physician orders the surgery, he kind of knows what he's going to do, but we have to tell the patient up front, there's the potential that your bill could be higher right. depending on what they do. So we always have the disclaimer on this, on these, their statement or on their papers they sign and when they first get there, their consent. Read your papers beforehand. Please, please read them. If you don't understand them, ask questions. If there's something you disagree yes. with beforehand, cross them out, have a conversation, initial date. Yeah. And we have signs up. I mean, when I was working in ophthalmology, for instance, people never understood the refraction that they would pay for that 25 or $30 fee, mm-hmm. the eye doctor, they expected that Medicare is covering everything, but they don't realize too, if you're a Medicare patient, I'm going to tell you that if you didn't know this, there are statutorily excluded services that are never covered by Medicare. Doesn't matter what it what you have done. If it's one of those services, you are responsible regardless. That's Routine foot care, the refraction, for instance, these things, it doesn't matter if you sign a form or not, you're responsible. So ask up front, even before you go into the doctor's office, right? The reception will know and they should be able to tell you. And if they can't, then make another appointment. Yeah. And ask your physician too, or insurance company, ask them for where you can go. And some of them are really helpful too. They'll even walk you through on the website where to go to find the information. They actually get paid too. A lot of these commercial plans get paid by certain, you know, organizations to have quality programs. So part of that is patient satisfaction. So the patient's not satisfied, they get in trouble. So (laughs) They don't want you back there for the same reason multiple times because in Medicare, you're not going to get paid except for that first time for that that first. Right. In Medicare- they, they pay these Medicare Advantage organizations, so they're also concerned with the proper coding. Um, I do like to highlight that, that people don't know that if you have a Medicare replacement plan, you get be- certain benefits from having that, but it's still Medicare, right? But it's just a, right. maybe through Humana or another organization. They actually hire coders too. Their insurance companies hire coders because they want to make sure that the charges submitted from the office are accurate bef- as well. So they audit those. They, they have audits all the time. And so auditing is huge in our industry, just like banking or the IRS, right? Does audits. 
<laughs> we do them too. It's a team effort between really the is. coder, the physician, the other medical professionals, your insurance company, mm-hmm. your Medicare provider, and you, the family. Exactly. So this is, since we just had the Kentucky Derby, I'm saying it's the <laughs> full field. Yes. <laughs> there may be 21 horses on that field with you. Mm-hmm. And you are hopefully not at the the highest odds <laughs> out there. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Jennifer. This has been really fabulous. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. There will be information in the show notes. If you have not subscribed to our wonderful show, Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, I hope that you will do so. You can just hit subscribe. If you are listening to on any of the major platforms, you can do that there. Or you can go to eldercaresuccess.live and subscribe on that page as well. And all the information is there as well. So thank you so much, Jennifer. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And it has been a delight. Yes. The ABCs of coding <laughs> and everything I was afraid to ask and more. Wonderful. Thank you for having me on the show. Take care. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.